to do justice and to describe the glory that you are I will stand before you in worship and I will show you my heart Oh, I lift my hands Yes, I lift my voice to I lift my hands, oh, I lift my voice to
Yes, I lift my hands. Oh, I lift my voice to I lift my hands, oh, I lift my voice to you. Yes, God, when our words don't seem to do justice to describe the glory that you are, Lord, we just stand before you. With everything that we have, with the limited words that we have, God, we just declare you are beautiful, you are wonderful everlasting God. Lord, you are glorious. You are everything. God, open our hearts. Don't let this message of the good news get old. God, open our hearts and our ears to hear exactly what you have to say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. We have been talking about jumping into Romans for several months now, and I'm, I'm super excited. I was so excited. I sent you all my outline this week. I hope you enjoyed that. I, I know many of you did because I got about 40 responses on it. And I want to thank you. Some of you are funny. Some of you are not as funny as you think. And yes, it was an accident. I, I hit directory instead of whatever. Anyway, a couple announcements before we jump in. If you are joining us for the first time, welcome to Carpenter's Way. We are so glad you're here. If you're watching online, there seems to be a lot of interest in this study. The word uh, soteriology simply is the Greek word for salvation, the doctrine of salvation, and that's what Romans does. And uh, like I said, we'll get into that in a few moments. I do have a couple uh, special notes for our church family. This morning is the last opportunity you have to nominate for this year's church for this year's church's officers. Uh, we have we have two different church leadership teams. One is our elder board, and then we have two other deacon teams. One is our mission investment team who oversees our mission program. And then the other is our finance team, which makes sure that Adam doesn't steal money from the church. So basically those, I'm just teasing. I'm just, I'm just kind of jealous. The guy has so many talents. It makes me, anyway, he's fired. But, but uh, uh, if you feel, if you know a member of the church, and we've been talking about this for the past few weeks, that you feel would fit good in one of those areas, we are, uh, there is one position open in each of those. And uh, the best way to do it this morning is just while I'm preaching, you can email me that name, and then I take it to the elders. Wednesday night we're meeting. We've been gathering these names. We have a wonderful list, but there's always room for more. And uh, we will ask you to pray for us because these are the spiritual leaders of our church. And uh, so uh, if you'd like to, if you have somebody that you think would be a great nominee, um, then please feel free to email it to mark at cwbc.org. That's Carpenter's Way Baptist Church cwbc.org. You can do it while I'm preaching or while we go through the announcements, but that's probably the easiest way for you to make a nomination this morning. The other way you can do it is write it on a piece of paper if you've got one and drop it in the offering box. I have had some questions. We've got a lot of new people in the church. How do you give? Uh, and uh, that's not complicated. There's an offering box as you enter and as you leave right back there. You could, you could drop your gifts in there or you can go online and do it. Uh, thank you for asking. Uh, that's how we support missions. That's how we support the ministries of this church. That's how we pay for the air conditioning. So uh, I, I'm, anyway, that's that. I do want to make an announcement for not this Wednesday night, but next Wednesday, because I want you to plan ahead. A week from Wednesday, somebody's going to be here this Wednesday thinking that it's this Wednesday. It's not. It's a week from Wednesday. We support a ministry, uh, two missionaries in crew that serve in Russia. They are going to be with us 
uh, on that Wednesday night. Not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday. And uh, uh, they have been very impacted by the war going on over there and what's going on in Russia. And so if, uh, if you'd like to hear what God is doing in their ministry, again, you support Carpenter's Way. If, if you are from a Southern Baptist background, we, uh, we affiliate as a church with the International Mission Board. But most traditionally, most Southern Baptist churches take two special offerings a year to support the mission work, one for the United States and one for the, the rest of the world. We don't do that. We tithe a percentage of your giving to mission work. Uh, and it's a significant percentage uh, from short-term mission work to, uh, uh, to the missionaries we support. We send money to the International Mission Board, as I said. That's our only affiliation with the SBC. But then also we have, I think, like uh, 15 missionaries I'm looking for chastity or where's Robert? 20 or 21. How many? 20 or 21 missionaries that we, or organizations that we support on top of the tens of thousands that we send to the International Mission Board. We support those missions. So you are already involved in these things. Uh, and you, you want to be informed next Wednesday night. This Wednesday night will be excellent. But next Wednesday night will be our missionaries uh, from Russia, and you might want to join us for that. So that's, that's again, a week from Wednesday. I, I want to remind you, some things I haven't mentioned lately, if you need prayer, if you are a prayer, there's multiple ways that you can be prayed for or that you can be involved in prayer ministry. One is on between these two doors, there's a prayer wall. And in front of that prayer wall is a little three-by-five card. You can anonymously write a prayer request on there and tape it to that board. And if you're a child of God and you walk by and you see one on there, take it and pray for it. You take it with you, put it in your car, and remember to pray for those people. That's one way. Another way is you can email me at mark at cwbc.org or dolores at cwbc.org, and we will put it on our prayer list that goes out every Friday. Remember, you, you get those things. Besides the message outline, uh, you, <laughs> you, get, you also receive every Friday a, a, a a digital bulletin as well as our prayer list, and you can see what's going on there. Please be praying for each other. I know we're not a huge church, but we're also not a small church, and this is how we communicate. I remember as a kid the telephone game, and that's how our prayer chains were growing up. The person might be having their appendix out, but by the time they're done, they died a month ago. So this way, this way you get it right from us. So that's that. Uh, I'm almost done. Oh, and if you don't get those, or if you're new to Carpenter's Way, and you don't get any emails from the church, like the message outline, you uh, at the table, as you leave this morning, my dad and my Karen will be at that table and you can fill out a card that gives us your information so you are in the know. And, uh, and there's some important stuff in there to remind you of what's coming up or if we have to cancel because of weather or uh, stuff like that. Has the weather not been phenomenal the last 48 hours? Was yesterday just, that, that's free, that's a weather report, but man, yesterday was gorgeous. All right, last thing. Uh, and that is that starting this morning, Clay Alverson, one of our elders, as well as he, he runs a men's job corps in the community, that he's the executive director of that. He is going to do a six-week biblical study on what is biblical manhood. And it's only six weeks long, and that will be in the annex, the next building, all the way around to the back. But uh, Clay will be leading that. If you have any questions, you can grab Clay when it's over. If you'll come up here for five minutes at the end, not now. And then, uh, and then, or in the back, you can find him maybe by the CW table. That'd be better. And then uh, you can talk to Clay and ask questions. Guys, this is a great chance for you to get into the Word and find out what God's expectations are for us. We know what the world's expectations are for us as men. Shut up and go away. But God has greater expectations. Maybe that was too political. All right.
So, did anybody bring my outline this morning? You bunch of jerks, I knew you would. I knew it. I, I just, several of them said, I, had, I want to thank both of you that wrote me an email that said, I'm not going to look ahead, I like to be surprised. Oh, you're still going to be surprised. Because I rarely follow my outline. It's your Bible study leaders that are going to be bummed out because they steal my stuff. So, man, I'm excited. Let me just say pers- on a personal note, uh, I have taught Romans before. It was the first study we did when I came to Carpenter's Way over 17 years ago. But I, I really, uh, man, I got to tell you, I, I was, this is why God put me in ministry. What, this, this message, nothing else matters. Nothing else even, even faintly compares to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And uh, I, I mean, so with that being said, let's look at, uh, let's jump in. Let's go for it. Romans 1, 1 to 7. This is how the book opens. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach this good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets and in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into, uh, born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus, the Messiah, who is our Lord. Again, I'm, I'm adding a couple of words there from on the screen, but that's how it reads in Greek. This one that it's centered on is Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus' last name is not Christ. I know most of you know that, but I want to make it clear. Jesus Christ is not his last name. If you want to know what Jesus' last name was, it was Jesus, son of Joseph. That would have been his last name in that culture. But Jesus Christ is a reference to his his, uh, prophetic position, Jesus the Messiah, who is our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us, he's talking about the apostles, the privilege and the authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere. Pause for a second. The, 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 it, it really doesn't say Gentiles here as much as everyone outside of the Jewish family all over the world. So anyone and everyone, that's what he's saying here. We have been given the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles, non-Jews everywhere, what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And you are included among those non-Jews, those Gentiles, who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let's, uh, let's pray together and ask God to just inhabit our thinking. Lord Jesus, we ask you this morning um, to open the our eyes and our heart. And Lord Jesus, there's so much noise about the gospel all over the place. In every church, it's, it's changed a little bit. And we don't want to know what churches teach or pastors teach. We want to know what you teach about how a person, about the good news and how a person is saved. What's the problem with man? What was the solution? And how that transforms us now and into eternity. So, Lord, as we embark on this new uh, study of this amazing book, it is my prayer that the words of Mark would fade away and the words of God would endure forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What a a wonderful introduction to this letter. Uh, It contains really what you need to know as you jump into this letter with me. Uh, The 
Pastor and theologian John MacArthur put it really well in his introduction to this letter when he wrote, what a privilege we have to be his children, and it is time for us to understand all that means and celebrate it, and that is what this letter does. I want to confess to my Facebook friends that I set you up twice over the last month. I posted Christmas stuff, and I didn't even say Christmas. I just put the number of days we count down to when we celebrate it, and I put a picture of something Christmassy up there. And I got to tell you, you are so easily triggered. It's like, don't skip Halloween. We're really excited about Satan's holiday, but the holiday that gives us hope. <laughs> we should be counting down on January 1st because, because that is the foundational prophecy fulfillment that the gospel is coming. Christmas is not, as you know, about gifts that we give each other or busyness or the cookies you're going to cook with your grandkids. By the way, I wish you a very happy Grandparents' Day, the most important day of the year. Um, but it, it really isn't about that. It's about the fact that Jesus Christ, God's Son, Jesus the Messiah, the prophesied one from Genesis chapter 4, actually fulfilled his promise and came so that we could have hope. One of the weaknesses of being born in such a wonderful nation, another, another time out because I forgot to say this before, but I just want to say um, this is an interesting day. 9-11 is always interesting. People say, I want to remember that. I know, I'm not sure what we want to remember about it, so I want to take a moment as we were talking, Julie and Annie and I yesterday, to say thank you to the first responders. You, you, it, you may not be in New York, but you run into the fire, and, and we know that. And we may not tell you enough. It seems like the military, nothing taking away from the military. But man, 9-11, that's, that's what uh, Annie reminded me yesterday that we got to remember is how hard you work. And, you know, when we dial that number 911, you You come. And if it shows up and the house is on fire, you run in that house. And uh, even for those of you, and maybe especially for those of you who transport us to hospitals and you don't get all that credit of being a first responder, thank you for what you do. We really, really need you. And, and I don't want to forget the other unsung heroes, and that is nurses on school campuses. Your job stinks. Anytime somebody throws up, you run into the vomit. You are. But we, we just, we take you for granted, and we know that, and you deserve praise, and we want to thank you. I thought, I thought this was a good morning for us uh, to, to just think about that. I'm going to talk a little more about 9-11 in a few moments, and you'll understand why, but uh, later in this text. But I, I, just, I just think sometimes when you're grow, you grow up in this culture, in the American culture, it doesn't really matter where in America you grew up, but maybe especially in the Bible Belt, you have been hearing the gospel, and that's the word we use, the gospel. It's become a religious word. It's just a Greek word. It's not a religious word. It's just a Greek word, and all it means is good news. And we've, we're so used to it now, it's lost its freshness. It's, it's like, oh, this is good news. In fact, in fact, I think it's even presented a lot as we talk only about being saved from hell. I think we forgot that this really isn't about hell. It's about adoption. We sang that song or we read the scripture this morning about Ephesians 1, 5, where God's unchanging plan was to adopt us. He wanted a relationship with us, and sin separated us. And God solved that through his good news. That's, the, that's what the word gospel means. 
It means it's good news. And in order to have good news, you've got to have bad news. And the bad news is where Romans starts. But I, I just think, man, I'm praying. My prayer in this is, is as we go through this, is that, that we get excited more about that than anything else. I, I'm not going to debate tongues today. I'm not going to debate this here today or faith healing. But I do know one thing, and I stake my eternity on it, and that is salvation is available to any man, woman, or child through faith in Christ alone. The rest is religious noise that has nothing to do with Jesus. At the end of the day, at the end of my ministry, when I'm dead and you little children grow up and you think about that old guy, Mark Wilkie, I hope that you think of Jesus. I hope that's all you think about. It's one of the reasons I, I, just, I just back away from the SBC because while we're arguing about women preaching and all the other goofiness going on, I just want to talk about Jesus because he is our only hope and Satan wants there to be so much noise that we forget this. That's why we've got to go through this. And as we start, and I think I'm going to say this maybe two more times as we go through this letter to, uh, 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 this morning especially, what we are about to embark upon is not a Baptist message. It's not a Christian message. It's, it's not Calvin's message. It's not Arminius's message. It's not free will message. It is the message that God gave the apostles to give to us. It is the message. And if you want to know what God says about being saved, then you are at the right study. And my, my plan, my prayer, and when I go to this study, is not to teach you what I've been taught, to, but to teach you what this teaches. And I beg you to push back. If you start hearing Mark's theology that's not found in a verse, good, push back, ask me why. I'll take you to Scripture and show you why, or I'll get up the next week and I'll say, I went too far with my own thinking. Because at the end of the day, there's so much religious noise here. There's so much Christian noise, and the only thing that's going to matter 10 seconds after we're dead is what we did with Jesus Christ. It's all that's going to matter. And I don't make, I make a very good living. Thank you for that. Having said that, I don't make enough money to be wrong on this. And I want you to know that I am on a search for truth of the good news of salvation presented to us by God just like you are. And I, I thank you for the privilege of, of allowing me to take you through this because it is a privilege. As we just read, the Apostle Paul is the author of this letter and, and it tells us in, in actually chapter 16 that he dictates the letter to a guy whose name is Tertius. I don't know him. You never hear about him again. But he dictates this letter to him, and he transcribes it. The letter to the Romans was likely written about 56 to 58 AD. So that puts it about 25 or 30 years after Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. So why is that significant? Because everything that Paul is about to write to us about could have been verified or laughed at by his community. People could say he didn't rise from the dead if they knew he didn't, if they knew where his body was. On the other hand, over 500 people saw him walking around, not just followers of Jesus, but enemies of Jesus. And that's why the rumors were that the disciples had stolen his body and they were able to bind him up enough to where he got healthy and was walking around four days later. That's insane, but they had to explain it away or people would start turning to him. The fact is this was written in the, in the contemporary time of Jesus Christ. I can't believe it, but do you guys realize that 1995 was only like 30-ish years ago? 1995 is modern history to me. Do you realize that Y2K, 
These are for my contemporaries here. Do you remember Y2K? We were storing up food because we wouldn't be able to get any. Crazy. Our computers, we all were turning off our computers at midnight. Remember how weird that was? Do you realize that was like 23 years ago? That's the same amount of time we're talking from Paul to Jesus. Now, if that doesn't hit you, I think one of the things that we forget is people start doubting scriptures. They forget that all of these scriptures were written within the contemporary life of Jesus Christ. And it would have been easy to disprove it, but nobody does. You know why? Because they're true. Nobody could disprove it. And the more excavation we do and the more archaeology we do, the more it validates the story of scripture. And Paul was the author. There's so much in this book to learn, to grasp, to hold tightly to. Just listen to a few verses that you memorized as a child, maybe in VBS, that are in this book. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the good news of the gospel about Christ. Why? It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Or Romans 3, 9 through 12, should we conclude that the Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jew or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Another famous section that I quote all the time is Romans 3, 21 to 24. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of religious law. As was promised in the writing of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus the Messiah when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. Or Romans 5.8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8.9, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Wow, there's an interesting one for my Baptist and Assembly of God friends. How is God going to know if you're saved in heaven? Well, first of all, he knows. But if that question were asked, it wouldn't be based upon your good deeds or church attendance. It would be based upon the, the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. It's not walking an aisle or being baptized. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 38 and 39. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Do you question eternal security? It's very clear. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that has been revealed in Jesus the Messiah, our Lord. These are great verses. They're life-changing verses. Now they're getting all muddled up in Christianity fights. But they're very clear. If you read these without any debate knowledge, you would simply accept them at face value. And that's what I want us to go back to. How about Romans 10, 9 and 10? If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. 
If you jump down to verse 13, it says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 12, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he'll find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Romans 12, 19, dear friends, never take revenge. What? Again, a very unpopular verse, especially on 9-11. Never take revenge. Leave it to the righteous anger of God, for the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay back, says the Lord. Well, he takes too long. That's not part of the verse. We trust him. Romans 16, 17, watch out for people who cause division and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. These are just like 12 verses or 15 sections of Scripture that we're going to study over the next 14 years. We're going to look at these. We're going to look at them in context. For instance, a lot of us know, for instance, that Jesus is the promised Messiah, but I'll bet you most of you couldn't name two verses that prophesy it. That's my job. I'm going to teach you the stuff we don't take time to teach in, and here's how this is going to go over the next, I don't know how long, however long it takes. What we're going to do is I'm going to teach passages of Scripture like it's broken down into about five sections. That's what I've got it broken down in my brain to. I didn't send you that outline. The, uh, the first section is what's wrong with us. That's Romans 1 and 2. And then the next question is what did God do about it? That's 3, 4, blah, blah, blah. There's five sections. I'm going, to go, I'm going to teach these sections verse by verse, and then I'm going to have my theologically brainy son come up, and he's going to teach you the theology of that. Because I told you this is going to be on soteriology, so we're going to elevate it a little bit by taking you through. I'm going to teach Romans, and then Zach's going to come up on a Sunday, and he's going to teach the theology of what we just went through. And why does that matter? Because, for instance, the Catholic Church does not believe you are born with a sin nature. The Scripture teaches that you're born with a sin nature. It actually explains why we do bad things. The Catholic Church believes you do bad things when you give in to badness. The Scripture says, and I'm not here to attack the Catholic Church, but the Scripture says that we do bad things because we give in to our flesh and our nature. And that's a significant difference because according to the Catholic Church, you can outdo your bad deeds by good deeds. If you go to the priest, if you marry in the Catholic Church, if you give well, if you do good things, if you compensate for your badness by your goodness and by your church activities. The Bible says that circumcision won't save you either, only circumcision of the heart done through Jesus Christ. And so again, what I don't want to do is I am not here to teach Baptist doctrine. That's not what I do. You guys know that by now. The first, the first six months of me being at Carpenter's Way, every Sunday Jeff would say, well, there's another thing we have not heard from a Baptist pulpit ever. I am not here to propagate Baptist think. I am here to teach the scriptures. And you are here to hold me accountable. You are here to learn as well as push back. And I encourage that. Actually, I enjoy it, especially when it's done respectfully. And then we go to the scriptures together. We look at why we believe what we believe. Because at the end of the day, the scriptures are all that will carry us into eternity as we learn about God. So this letter is about the good news, the gospel. The letter doesn't contain Calvin's doctrine or the doctrine of free will 
It explains what God did to save man. And anything you hear within this letter that sounds like free will or Calvinism is simply because that's how God chose to save us. And every theology, everyone, 100% of them, and this is something you don't hear enough, often enough, every theology has tension. Every theology has tension. For instance, I am saved by faith in Christ alone. So good works don't matter. That's not true. The Bible teaches that by your fruit you will be known. The truth is that they both matter. One is for salvation. The other is to fulfill our purpose in this life as well as how we live under the control of the Holy Spirit. Election and free will. For those of you who think I'm a raving Calvinist, I want to make it clear, I also believe in free will. I believe in both of those things. Why do I believe them? Because they're both taught. Well, it's got to be one or the other. No, it doesn't. We're dealing with God. And part of the struggle that we have in the church, those of us who've grown up in the church, part of our struggle, and it's part of my struggle, is we actually believe that for the most part, we have God figured out. People are crazy. God, we've got. And I'm here to tell you that God is continually and wonderfully a mystery. And he's only taught us what he wants us to know. And he's left the rest so that we will have to trust him. Trust him. If he told us, people ask a lot. I've asked it, you've asked it. Why? I wish God would just tell me what he wants me to do. What college to go to. What woman to marry. What man to marry. Or what I'm supposed to do about this situation. We all ask God for that. It is not in his best interest or in your relational interest that he answers questions like that. Why? Because you won't need him once you get the map. You will worship the map. You'll be like, don't talk to me, Jesus. I'm too busy reading the map. Right? Because that's what we do. And God wants us listening to his still, small voice as his Holy Spirit lives within us. Again, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, being freed from religiosity by the indwelling Holy Spirit. So let's go. Paul began this letter with this statement in Romans 1.1. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach the good news. As you're aware, this is written in Greek. That's not English. As you're aware, this was written 30 years after Jesus Christ ascended, not in 2023. As the queen has died during her lifetime, Words have changed. The word gay has changed, has it not? Just one example. And the fact is that we have to understand that as culture changes and there are language changes, words don't always mean exactly the same thing. And especially in the Greek language. Many of you are aware of this, but Paul in about 14 different times in the New Testament makes reference to something that was taught in Numbers called a bond slave or a bond servant. Paul, throughout his life, while this text doesn't say bondservant, the same Greek word that we use for slave or servant could have been translated bondservant as well. And in all of our new, modern new versions of the Bible, they translate it as either slave or servant, except in the New American Standard, which translates it, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. Now, that's not what the Greek says, but it's also not not what the Greek says. Why? Because that Greek sentence doesn't say he wasn't saying a bond slave. We have to read into Paul's heart. And how do you do that? By knowing Paul from the rest of the New Testament. And one thing we know about Paul, well, 
You guys remember who he was, right? For those of you who don't know who Saul Paul was, the fact, uh, and, and, and by the way, Paul is the, is the name of this man in a different language. It's not that God changed his name from Saul to Paul. I, I just want to clear, clarify that. You know how Peter went from Simon to Peter when Jesus said, upon this rock? That was an actual name change that God gave him for his ministry to begin. But when Saul began to minister, he did not become Paul. There are New Testament letters where he identifies himself, or in Acts, he's identified as Saul and Paul throughout his life. So that's the first misnomer we have. Paul was still Paul, but he was transformed by the Holy Spirit in him. You remember how that happened, right? Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. This is Acts chapter 9. And was eager to kill the Lord's, uh, to the Lord's followers. So let's take a breath and realize that Saul, when he met Jesus and was radically transformed, was Osama bin Laden. This is a great Sunday to have this message. Because I don't think, when we think of David last week, some of you said, I kind of got mad at David. You should be mad at David. The guy was a reprobate. I know we remember him as a man after God's heart. That's, a, that's how merciful God is, not how wonderful David was. David was a better little boy than he was a grown man. And the reason that we respect him and love his psalms is because his heart longed for God, but his flesh was completely murderous and adulterous. And ugh. The fact remains that what makes David a guy to study and learn from is God's mercy on him. And that's exactly how it is with Saul. Saul was, he was a, a, a murderer of Christians. He was by every definition a terrorist. His goal, let, let's read this. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the, rest of, in the arrest of any followers of the way found there. Pause, we've got to pause. Because he was going to arrest, what were they called? followers of the way, that's what we were called in the New Testament. Because Jesus was known and scoffed at as the way. Why was he scoffed at? Because he said, I am the way to the Father. I am the truth. I'm the life. So anybody who followed Jesus were followers of the way. And in this text, that's what he refers to them as. <clears throat> he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. So he, Saul, wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Okay, let this sink in, just like David with Bathsheba. I want this to sink in. <clears throat> he wasn't just picking out men. He wasn't just picking out religious leaders. He was picking out men and women, old people, young people. The sense is he wanted to kill them, but first he'd have to arrest them. So he's heading to Damascus to arrest, if not kill the followers of Jesus, both men and women, and this happened. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, so the author of Acts, Luke, the historian, wants us to know what Paul was doing at the moment he met Jesus. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Okay? Now, again, very familiar story. 
so familiar that you skip what's really happening here. This is what it looks like to be forced into servitude. Seriously, this is what it looks like to be taken captive with a gun to your forehead and told, you're going to do this for me. Jesus took him by force without his consent into Damascus where he waited completely blind until God sent one to tell him what he would do for the rest of his life. That's what that story says, right? This is important because I want you to understand that's slavery. When you are kidnapped and forced by someone more powerful than you to live a certain thing the rest of your life, that is by effect slavery. It's kidnapping. And that's what happened to Saul on the day he got saved. Saul lived in terror of his master. And yet, back in Exodus 21, here we go to some familiar stuff, it tells us uh, some of the laws, the Hebrew laws of slavery, which Saul would have been a master of because he was very smart. He was a lawyer of his day. He was very, very smart on the law. And this is what the law out of Exodus 21 says. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he may serve for no more than six years, set him free in the seventh year, and he will owe you nothing for his freedom. If he was single when he became your slave, he shall leave single. But if he was married before he became a slave, then his wife must be freed with him. If the master gave him a wife while he was a slave and they had sons or daughters, then only the men will be free in the seventh year and his wife and children will belong to his master. So I want to pause here for a second because slavery makes the hair on the back of our neck go up because of what America did and what the Western world did. And I just want to say that as many people try to correlate the two, they're nothing alike. Slavery in biblical times was often how you would pay off a debt. And if, uh, or if a crime had been committed, it is how you would pay off that crime if it wasn't a crime punishable by death. And especially if it was a Hebrew slave, if it was a Jewish individual, that person could not be, no matter what they had done, they could not be kept in slavery for more than six years. On the seventh year, they were to be set free. So we're not talking about ancient slavery here. We're talking about the relationship between a Jewish master and his Jewish slave that was indebted to him in some way. What's interesting, and let's keep reading, verse 4. If his master gave, oh, let's see, uh, oh, verse 5. So in the seventh year, he, his wife, and, and, uh, and, and they could be freed. Verse 5. But the slave may declare, I love my master, my wife, and I love my children as well, but I don't want to go free. If he does this, his master must present him before God. Then his master will take him to the door or doorpost and publicly pierce his ear with an awl. And after that, that slave will serve his master for life. So if you are indebted to somebody and you are a Hebrew in biblical times, you could be slave, enslaved for up to seven years or six years set free on the seventh to a master that you owe a debt to. But if you fell in love with that master at the end of that period of time, you could stay with them the rest of your life. And that is what's called a bond servant. It's a man or woman who serves his master and owner under compulsion, but eventually freely out of his love for his master, permanently decides to surrender himself for life, regardless of what he's asked to do. That's a bond slave. And that's Paul's story. 
Paul was kidnapped by God, forced into submission and servitude. Then he fell in love with his master, and he chose of his free will to become a permanent, lifelong bond slave of his kidnapper. And it cost him personally dearly. Philippians chapter 3 says this, whatever gain I had, I counted it loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which came, comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him even in his death. Wow. That's pretty radical. This good news that Paul finds out about must have been so amazing to him that he was willing and even desired to share in the sufferings of Christ and be killed like him. Boy, I think of the church today, and we whine a lot. If we're not praised and affirmed in this culture, it's not nice. But Paul's eyes weren't on the culture around him or his, or his religious contemporaries. His eyes, once he met Jesus, once he followed Jesus, once he fell in love with Jesus, were completely on him. He was worth following. He was worth serving. He was worth losing everything in his life. And Scripture tells us that Paul was a wealthy, wealthy man, but he ended up in poverty because of following Jesus Christ. It gives you a hint at this good news. So while it says in Romans 1.1, and I'm going to go through the first seven verses right now, he's a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. This good news that he was sent out to preach that he's going to call a privilege in a few minutes, this good news was so radical for him that he fell in love with Jesus and he said, I will do of my free will anything you ask of me. And that's not because Saul was a good man. It's because God is a good God. No matter what difficulties you face in this life, whether they be tribulations or trials or temptations, no matter what you give up for Christ, it is worth it because God is that good. And I think what Satan has effectively done in our in our, our, our uh, Christian culture today, is he has gotten us to forget how good this good news is, how much we don't deserve it. I think that every one of us in this room, to some degree, feel like we're relatively good people. If you don't, then you're already broken and thankful. But for most of us, we're just kind of, it's old news. And my prayer as we go through this is that it blows our minds again. Because the news that Paul is about to teach us is not religious news, or it's not a word of knowledge from Nashville or Rome or some pastor in the backwoods of Arkansas. It's not good news from some theologian or theological think tank. It's not the American good news or the Western good news or Luther's or Calvin's or mine or yours or even Paul's good news. It is God's good news. And God has the final say. Even if you don't deserve the good news, God gets the final say. If you want to know what God says about salvation, forgiveness, relationship with Him, this is your book. And it doesn't just start in the New Testament. In verse 2, it says that God promised this good news. And again, it could have been translated as gospel, but that's, got, that's such a, 
It's such an old school religious term in our culture now that I love the phrase good news because that's what it is. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This good news is about his son. This good news is about his son, verse 3 says. And this is, this is so cool. Put, the, put verse 3 up there. It's concerning his son. It's centered on Jesus. It's not centered on the Baptist faith and message. It's not centered on Luther's teaching. It's not centered on Calvin's. It's not centered on the Catholic Pope. It is centered on Jesus Christ. I want to take note this as we jump into this more, that it is not about being a good person or Republican or Democrat. It's not about being white or black or gay or straight or rich or poor or moral or immoral. It isn't even about heaven and hell. The good news, according to Paul, in the first two or three verses of this book are Jesus Christ, God's Son. It is centered on Him. And who was this Jesus that the good news is centered on? Actually, this is one of a section that we read through. It's very powerful. It tells us who this Jesus, the Messiah, was in his earthly life. So earthly speaking, humanly speaking, he was born into King David's family line. Oh, so from a human, he was a real human. He didn't just all of a sudden come out of an egg somewhere on Easter morning. This was a man who had a heritage, a genealogy, and he's fully human. And he comes out of David's line. And yet he was shown, verse 4 says, to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's some theological meat there. This good news was about a man who proved himself to actually be divinity by rising from the dead. I heard somebody, I, I don't know why, we, we've gotten rid of TV, so I'm watching a lot of YouTube, and one of the things I've been getting into lately is archaeology, and they were talking about that there's a lot of evidence now for the life of Jesus, and even the resurrection, it's coming out more and more almost daily, uh, but one of these, one of these uh, I don't know what you want to call him, he was a rector of some sort in, the, in a Christian religion, and his comment was, it doesn't really matter to me whether Jesus rose from the dead or not. He is my teacher. I just want you to know that that's the definition of stupid. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then we have wasted our Sunday morning. We would do well to just have a party here to watch NFL later. The fact is that we are here convinced, men and women, that Jesus Christ is has something to listen to because he is the only man in all of history that raised himself from the dead. And it tells us in this text that all three members of the Trinity were involved in it. He was sent by the Father, the Holy Spirit raised him, and Jesus Christ was the submissive one. Jesus was the promised Messiah. It's incredible. The simple sentence actually declares that Jesus is both God's son, divine, and man born of David. Now, I know you're, you're thinking, well, it says he was the son of God. It doesn't say he was God. In Jewish think, that is God. If you want to, now look, I understand, well, that's what you say. How do I know it's true? Because when Jesus was killed, what was he killed for? Blasphemy? Remember? And what did they say he said? That he was the son of God, equating himself with God. So remember, this is a Jewish book. 
This is a historical book, and we've got to understand not how we understand, but how they understood. They knew that Jesus was equating himself equal with God. If you need it in English, take John 10.30, where Jesus said, I and my Father are one. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word... It's so clear that even the Jehovah's Witnesses who don't believe Jesus was God had to change their Bible, so it didn't say that. The problem is they missed the 750,000 other places where Jesus claims to be God. And it is all over the New Testament. I want more verses. I can show them to you. But the best thing is, just read the book. It's in Genesis 1.1. And God saw that his creation was good. If you read Hebrews 1, it tells us that Jesus Christ was the creator. Let us make man in our image. Who's he talking to? His little psychosis? There's three of him. I was taught in Sunday school that the reason Jesus made humans was because he was lonely. That's not true. He wasn't alone. There were three of him plus the angels and demons. See, a lot of our theology is what we learn through time to try to explain away things we can't understand. And one thing we can't understand is the Trinity. Well, why do you believe it then? Because the Bible teaches it. Teaches it. And and look, it's so amazing that all three members of the Trinity, my goodness, I can't, you know, when my family gets in the car to go out to eat, which is more than it should be, Julie and Annie and I, we're all that's left in our little home, right? We'll get in the car, and somebody will have suggested we go out to eat. I don't feel like making dinner. I don't feel like cleaning up the, church, the, the kitchen. You all know how that goes. Men, what happens when you get in the car? Where do you want to eat? That's exactly right. We're all in the same boat here. It's a woman-man thing. Where do you want to eat? To which she says, oh, I don't care. So I always suggest there's a restaurant in town that they hate, and I always suggest that just to make them crazy. But it's hilarious because then I'll suggest something and guess what happens? So let's just be clear. You do care where we eat. You just don't want to pick the place. It would be a lot easier if you tell me all the places not to eat and we'll end up at your restaurant. That's just, that's just how it is. We can't even agree on where to eat in 15 minutes. But the Trinity agreed on this fact. I love people. I created people. I'm going to save people from themselves. That is really good news. Because there's only one person in all of eternity. You may be hurt by sin sometimes, but there's nobody that we've spit in their face like we have Jesus. And if you doubt that, we started last week at looking at David's life before our communion time, and now look at this guy. This guy was trying to kill followers of Jesus Christ, and Jesus redeemed him. There is not one of you in this room or watching online or who lives, who can't be forgiven of their sin if God will forgive this guy of his sin. I don't care what we say to you. I don't care what religious people say to you. That is the fact of Scripture. You have not outsinned his grace. The only reason that you will go to hell is because you're too proud to accept his offer to freely forgive you. That's it. Well, I don't believe in election, or I believe in election. Who cares? All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, I don't want to give up my lifestyle. Then don't be saved. You don't have to. God's a gentleman. He's not going to, well, he did here. I'm going to move on. (laughs) He did do that here, didn't he? Wow. See what happens when you've got my notes? I'm trying to get off the notes, so I can surprise you. (laughs) One more thought on Jesus. 
Jesus is not, and, and I can't believe I have to say this. I wrote, I wrote this note to myself here and, and to all of you. In today's weird Christian theology, I can't believe that I even have to say this, but I want to be clear that Jesus was not just a better version of human. He wasn't just a spirit-controlled man who was God, came down, and this is what it looks like, and we can all be like him. That's not who Jesus was. Jesus was fully God. What about the nine months in his mama's belly? I, I can't answer all those questions. I don't understand how Jesus could be on the cross and the Father could turn away from him when they're one. All I know is that Scripture teaches that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three individual persons that make up one Godhead. Well, you've got to explain that. I don't have to explain anything, and neither do you. But I assure you, when we get on the other side of this life, we're going to understand it all because we're going to see God as He is, not as we, who we've created Him to be. And with that being said, one of the most amazing, miraculous things is that God would save people like us who continually take him for granted, take his name in vain, continually ignore him, sleep in so we don't have to worship him, blah, 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 blah. No, we're not David. No, we're not Paul. But we are just as offensive to him. And he still says, come on, I'm waiting. That is the good news. If, if we could go around the world and say, okay, so God exists, if you believe that, just, just pretend he exists for a second and he's the ultimate judge. What is it that you want him to do that will make you happy? I need him to forgive me. He's done that. That's what the good news is about. You can't make up a better story. Well, I don't want to give up my sin. Then don't follow him. Because accepting Jesus Christ, and we'll get into this more later, is all about accepting his belief that sin will destroy you and his way is better. Back to our text. As he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what did the Lord instruct Paul to do? The murderer, through Christ, through the Messiah, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to help to tell, and I'm going to add anyone everywhere across the globe, what God has done for them. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to be American. You don't have to be white. You don't have to be Republican. You don't have to be a particular persuasion of, of, of socioeconomic understanding. You just have to know you're a sinner and he is the Savior. That's all you need. To anyone everywhere, what God has done for them, calling Jesus God again, so that they will believe and obey him, bring glory to his name. And you are included among those non-Jews, those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his holy people. So as we end this morning, I want to make it clear that Paul is writing to believers. It doesn't mean that unsaved people can't listen in, but he's actually writing to believers. Because we forget so quickly how we got in the mess we are. If you listen to our study, you're going to find out why the world's in the condition it's at. Why Hollywood is the way they are. Why Washington, D.C. Is, is the way that they are. Why the world is shaping into the way it is. What is our hope? What is our peace? What is our joy? Why is this good news? Okay, I accepted it when I was six. What, what benefit is to me now? All of those questions are answered. What does God expect from me? How we should relate to each other now that we are grace people. 
All of those are answered in Romans, and we're going to go slow through it, and we're going to have our minds blown by just how good this news is. Colossians 1, 13 to 22. This is what he did in a nutshell. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. See, I told you you weren't a citizen. Of, you were no longer a citizen of the U.S. You're a citizen of heaven. For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sin. Just leave that verse up there. It's okay, but do you realize this morning, no matter what you did last night, if you are a child of God, you have been forgiven? Yeah, but I knew better. That's not a clause. When you realize you've messed up as one of his children, instead of feeling sorry for yourself, thank him for his grace and get back in the game. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Verse 15. Next verse. There we go. He is the image of the invisible God. Any questions on the Trinity? The firstborn of all creation. We'll get into that in Romans. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it is the, was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross, through him, I said that whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in your mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through his death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. How cool is that? So what does that mean? That means you can go enjoy the humid sun and beautiful East Texas day today. Why? Because you're not worried about what happens if you get skin cancer. You can eat meat, my vegan friends. We're about to go to Thanksgiving. Just so you know, fake turkey is still fake turkey. What's that stuff they make it out of? That? That's it, tofu. It even sounds ridiculous. It's really good with a lot of soy on it, though. But seriously, you can enjoy your day because God is taking care of your day. He's taking care of your future. He's taking care of your eternity. You can turn on the news this afternoon, and you don't have to get mad because it's not your kingdom anymore. You can look at your struggle with your flesh and how inappropriate you are with your spouse sometimes, and you can actually go, I'm still forgiven by God, even if my wife is struggling with that because I'm a jerk. Now I need to deal with her. I'm not saying we can live like we're unsaved. I'm simply saying that you are free now to go this afternoon and enjoy God and His beauty and His presence. And this afternoon, if you, something upsets you, you can turn it off. You don't have to read Facebook, and you don't have to go to Hobby Lobby and see all the Christmas colors. You don't have to. 
You don't have to get mad at people who post Christmas. My wife right now is going, he did it. I can't believe he did it. It's fine. You know what? Even people who love Democrats, you don't have to be mad at them. And if you know somebody in your family who voted for Trump, you don't have to write them off. It's okay. Why? Because God's got your eternity. They may not be saved, but the bottom, just kidding, I don't need the text. Jeff at cwbc.org. I'm simply saying, why are we so mad? We should be the people who are giggling our way through our problems because God's got it. He's got it. Why? Because of the good news. Not because tomorrow will be a better day. The day after tomorrow will be a better day. Tomorrow may be worse, but the day after that maybe will be better because when we go home, all the things that Jesus did here in this life for us will come to fruition in our experience and there will be no injustice, no slavery, no uh, self-serving politicians, no taxation. Everything will have been paid on our behalf because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And that is good news, my friends. And that is what this letter is about. Because his Gentile believing friends were about to face Nero. And they needed to know that even with Nero at the helm, God is good. Let's close in prayer. Father, I, I pray that um, we would have ears to hear and, and hearts, that you will renew in us the joy of our salvation by reminding us what we have been saved from and for. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we work through this letter verse by verse, you will teach us your plan for our eternity. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday.